a lot of uh, fitness is sold as a fix for uh, poor lifestyles and poor behaviors. And so I think there's a lot of energy and education and technology and programs being put into a duct tape fast track model. Um, and I think that's futile, to be honest. Um, and so that's why we it seem, seemingly focus on the cognitive aspects um, or behaviors or intentions, because if individuals, the client and the coach can't think for themselves and ask hard questions on why am I doing any of this? Um, you're, it's actually just useless what you are doing. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to James Fitzgerald, the founder of OPEX and the first ever men's CrossFit Games champion. James rose to early CrossFit fame under the moniker OPT, and he was an early poster on the first ever CrossFit.com forums in the early 2000s. Fast forward a few years to 2007, and James was crowned the first ever men's CrossFit Games champion. Fun fact, James still gets called OPT by some fans, something we talk about a little later on in this episode. While James competed for a number of years after his 2007 Games win, he spent more and more of his time building what would become OPEX, a coaching certification and education program that has over 60 franchised gyms worldwide. James and his education modules have reached thousands of coaches around the globe, and he's one of the fitness industry's most in-demand speakers and educators. In this episode, we talk about the early days of CrossFit competition, James's lessons learned from being a top-level athlete, and why the mental component of training is still so underrated. Also, I just wanted to say, we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. Every month, we give away a box full of Barbend swag to one of our listeners who leaves a rating and review. James Fitzgerald, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. It's been a few years since we've chatted in person. I think it's been about five years, actually, since we last saw each other in person. But it's awesome to connect now, and I do appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. When was the last time we chatted? I I think it was in 2014. I think it was in Atlanta in 2014. Um, I may be mistaken, but that doesn't actually feel that long ago. And then I look at a calendar and it looks like a long time ago. (laughs) Was that for a CTP course? No, I actually think it was for for the Grid League way back then. Okay. Yes. 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 That's right. It was just outside of Atlanta, right? Right. It was in. It was in that that. Uh, ho- it was in like a hockey rink, and they had the platform set up in the hockey rink, That's which right. I'd never seen before. That's right, and the grid set up there as well. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, be- beyond uh, beyond your our our mutual involvement in in that and many other things that you've done over over the years, uh, you're a man of many talents, and you've been in the fitness space. And I think a known figure, a known quantity in the fitness space for a, a long time. But can you give us a little bit of your athletic background for folks who might not know um, about that and about your involvement in fitness kind of pre-2007? Yeah, um, I played uh, 
a lot of sports as a kid from, I think, five or six years of age, uh, living in northern Canada up until um, 18. Um, and then uh, I had an injury that uh, sidetracked me, uh, but got me more interested in strength and conditioning and sport. And then after that, I really tried all kinds of, uh, we'll call them adult recreational uh, I, you know, expressions of sport. Um, and then came the CrossFit years, which I, 2004 till probably 2014, um, where I participated as an adult, mainly in, uh, the sport of fitness. Um, and, uh, since then I've just been, um, just exercising really, and, uh, removed myself from the specific athletic, um, um, area. It's so fascinating. I actually found weightlifting after recovering from a, a team sports injury. It's so fascinating to me how that's a common thread among many athletes. They find a true love for strength and conditioning after or during rehab from uh, an injury from like a, a different sport or call it a mainstream sport. Is that something you see pretty commonly? Um, I, I, th- I think I probably have saw it a lot because I went through it, so I'm probably biased to it. Um, but uh, I think I, I think I may have an answer possibly as to why people do it. I think it uh, you recognize a void um, when that's not there, um, and the power around physical expression. And I think that void, the calling, can only be um, taken care of through uh, resistance and conditioning. So back to some of those uh, the early 2000s. So you you got involved in in the sport of fitness in, in CrossFit in 2004. You were the first ever men's CrossFit Games champion in 2007. Now back then, co- competition in CrossFit was was new. It was it was unheard of beyond a few kind of backyard brawls and throwing down with your friends in the gym. It wasn't a known. Uh, entity or it wasn't a known expression of of fitness or movement before that what was it like competing that first year at the crossfit games was crossfit was competing in crossfit something you had kind of ever considered doing before that and and what uh spurred you to actually compete that year yeah it was uh, enjoyable um i think uh some people forget that uh we were i say we is everyone who was on dot com you know i competed every morning from uh for, I guess it would be just as an example, um, 240, uh, to 250 workouts, competitive workouts per year, uh, for three and a half years straight, uh, prior to the games. So I think, uh, the games was just a, an opportunity for a local event of com. That's the way I saw it. Um, cause we were all, all over the world and, uh, they decided that they were going to have an in-person competition, and that was the expression of that, uh, or the medium of it. And uh, that's why the 2007 games, I think, came to be. Now, you said you know you were throwing down with folks on uh, the dot com uh, message board. You, you generally had an idea of how your times and, and your weights were, and your reps were stacking up against them. Did you enter the 2007 CrossFit Games thinking you were the front runner and being confident in your abilities, or was winning something that took you at all by surprise? Um, I think it was a. I think it was a combination of unconscious belief. Um, I do remember having visualizations and the training beforehand, just really feeling like it was, it was the right thing for me to do. Uh, it didn't mean that I had full confidence I was going to win, but it just felt right. 
Um, those who have had those experiences before know what I mean. And it takes that experience to actually understand it. Um, so I kind of, I kind of could just use predictions based upon how I was comparing to other people online. Um, I knew where my strengths and my, where my weaknesses were. And, uh, I was just fortunate enough that the way the talent pool was there and the alignment of the tests that I, I just came out on top on that day. But, um, I would be lying if I said I didn't really want to win. Um, but that wasn't the intention. The intention was that in-person experience and, uh, really just trying to, uh, culminate this past number of years, you know, to see exactly, uh, this new form of competition because in-person competing is, I mean, it's like, it's like playing, you know, in your backyard with your, with your uh, basketball net, you know, you, you can come up with all these strategies and ideas and believe you're Kobe Bryant, you know, hitting a three with a couple of seconds left. But, uh, when you get, uh, in competition, you know, on a hot tarmac in California with other people, it, it, it's a, it's a big difference. Give us some context for, for folks who might have only uh, come across the CrossFit games and fitness competition in recent years. We're in big stadiums. The athletes are minor celebrities. They're signing autographs. There were no celebrity athletes in 2007 at the ranch in Carson. Give us a little insight into what the conditions were like as an athlete, the kind of equipment you were using. Uh, you all didn't know the events. I believe the, one of the events was actually pulled out of a hopper, if that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. There were some unknown pieces to it. Um, we, uh, you know, did, did know that there was going to be a run and a lift the second day. Um, we did know that indirectly, but we didn't know the the style of the mixed modal workout, uh, for the first workout of the day. Um, but to, to be, you know, uh, short, uh, so people can get an explanation of it. I use a parallel sport like uh, UFC, um, to think of, you know, how that came to be. Um, you know, UFC almost went from this like underground online video fight club atmosphere um, and then now it's professionalized. So that, that would be something that would make people understand the growth of the sport. It used to be just this backroom, you know, um, expression of competing in fitness and now it's commercialized and, and, uh, and uh, produced at a different uh, level. Were there any, what was the warm up area like that first year? I mean, we, we, you go to the games now in, in, in Madison, it's a, a huge setup for tens of thousands of people, and there are vendor areas. There are multiple stadiums, multiple venues for the actual competitions. Um, you know, as an athlete, was there a, in 20, 2007, was there a staging area? What kind of support systems did you personally have? Did you have a coach that year? Uh, no, I just followed uh, what the workouts were online, and then I just designed my own training a couple of months out from the games. Uh, the warm-up area was, you got to remember, there wasn't like, you know, uh, 50 individual males, 50 individual females, and, you know, 30 teams, and, you know, number of teens, and masters, and, you know, there wasn't that. So um, there was lots of room to warm up. It was in uh, the ranch and in a gym that was there. Uh, we just basically gathered in a back room, which was actually like a really small facility and, uh, just was able to, to warm up, but the space wasn't a problem because there wasn't a huge amount of, uh, individuals. 
after 2007, and this is something that last time we saw each other in person, we were chatting a bit about very casually. It's been five years since then. Your relationship with fitness methodology, your relationship with competition, you mentioned earlier in this recording that you know, you're no longer competing and you're in more of the coaching and, and theory um, side of things. How did your relationship with fitness, the part it played in your life, start to evolve after the 2007 CrossFit Games? Yeah, it just, it just served me differently um, over time. You know, I still competed for a number of years afterwards, but um, I think because I experienced it and I went through it, um, I can speak of it. Um, and because it, it has taken a long time with lots of reps and also training other people and training other coaches and training coaches of coaches now, um, I just start to see that uh, fitness serves everyone differently. Um, and for a period of time, it was my athletic pursuit. Um, but now fitness is uh, a means of, you know, standing up and, uh, um, and being, uh, being mentally acute at 85. Now, when I first met you and, and when I first actually became aware of you and your background in the sport, you were still competing a bit. This was the, the early 2010s. But the term that kept coming up, and it was actually a nickname for a while, it was a bit of like a moniker that people would refer to you as, it was OPT. And I didn't understand at first if OPT was your nickname, if it was your training methodology, if it was your gym, or if it was your certification. It's now OPEX, which we'll talk a little bit about later in this recording and go more in-depth on. But what was OPT? When did it start? And how did that, that acronym become so closely associated with James Fitzgerald? Yeah, it was all those aforementioned things um, because when I started my business – um, in Calgary in 99, um, that's what the name of the business was, Optimum Performance Training. Um, and then when .com came up, you had to have a moniker um, that you could go by so people could see what your scores were and what you were doing. And so I labeled that as my business and my moniker on .com. So it combined the two. You know, I had a, I had a business that was called OPT. I was OPT um, online for .com. Um, and also my business practices and how I created education was OPT. Uh, when we came to the States, OPT, the name was used by NASM, um, unbeknownst to me, um, as a training model, uh, but they did not have it trademarked. So we decided not to put pressure on owning the name due to uh, eco economics and legalities and instead changed the name. So everything remained the same. It's just that we had to change the name to OPEX. Do you still have people refer to you as OPT? Because I actually, when I was first beginning to follow CrossFit in the, in the early 2010s, I didn't realize that you and OPT were the same person. I kept hearing about this guy, James Fitzgerald, and this athlete, OPT. And it took me like a couple months to realize, like, wait a minute, they're the same person. Yeah, um, all the time. Um, as an example, I went to uh, L.A. this weekend for a weightlifting course uh, with Sean Waxman. And as I was waiting, um, this uh, former military gentleman came up and, you know, looked at me and was like, you OPT? Yeah, and then we had a chat. Um, and then walking back to my hotel on the first night with headphones on, on a street with no sidewalk, this guy, you know, is, you know, he's going 20 miles an hour, but he slows down, puts his window down 
and goes, yo, OPT. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, coming back, um, ironically at the, uh, airport again, just came around the corner from the bathroom and someone does that second look, you know, second take and, uh, says OPT. So yeah, I, I, uh, I get that all the time and I relish it. I love having conversation with people, um, around the collective energy that we had based upon that name and what we we're looking to do back then. So you, you don't, you don't commonly go by OPEX these days. You don't have anyone calling you OPEX. I, I assume. <laughs> no, it's James or, uh, James or OPT. Yeah. Mr. Mr. OPT, we'll refer to you for the rest of this broadcast. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. I'm kidding. That, that would only be slightly awkward. So, OPT, now OPEX, what is it? What do you all do? You mentioned earlier bringing the, uh, the company from Canada to the United States. You know, where are you based out of, and, and what kind of athletes do you serve today? Yeah, we uh, um, moved down here in 2011 from Canada, and uh, uh, the company, OPEX, is a fitness education company. Um, and... Uh, we, we don't service athletes anymore. Um, that's another company called the big dogs, which is an online, um, source of individual training. So we have coaches who work online with people individually. Uh, that's how we service as a, as an arm of OPEX. That's how we service the athlete. Um, OPEX stands for, um, health and fitness education. Um, and we have gyms now all over the world. Uh, we're continuing to grow, uh, slowly at that. Um, we have, uh, over 3000 coaches who've taken my education, uh, called OPEX CCP. Um, and really we are trying to, what we're trying to do is our why is, uh, to raise the value of a coach. Uh, what we do is we teach coaches principles, um, of, of, of professional fitness coaching. Now, you say you have your growing slowly when it, when it comes to opening gyms. How many facilities do you have worldwide worldwide right now, and which cities do they operate in? Yeah, we have uh, over fifty, um, and uh, I wouldn't be able to uh, unfortunately give you the exact locations. Oh, you can't just rattle them off like the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're in uh, Australia, um, uh, UK. Isle of Man, um, uh, Switzerland. Now, are, uh, are, are these af- are these affiliated gyms, or do you own and operate them? No, these are called uh, uh, license models. These are licensees. So everyone inside those gym gyms uh, operate the OPEX way, mm-hmm. um, um, from the education right down to the service delivery. Gotcha. Now, one question I, I do want to ask, and I'm sure it's something you get a lot. You were the first ever men's CrossFit Games champion. You were an early celebrity, I'd say one of the first known or monikered athletes in that sport. And with that fitness methodology, you talked about your relationship with fitness personally. Your relationship with CrossFit HQ is something that I know has undergone a, a few different iterations in the past years. And, and now you are you are running OPEX. You are running very much your your separate um, uh, education and education and licensing company, and it really stands on its own two feet in a in a bit, pretty massive way. But how has your relationship with 
CrossFit HQ or .com, as you might refer to it, evolved over the years? Uh, yeah, there uh, there really isn't one. Um, you know, it's nothing different than what I mentioned earlier. I I was a participant on .com. Um, I owned two CrossFit gyms, um, co-owned two CrossFit gyms for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, just wanted to grow, do my own thing. Um, I always saw uh, the method of CrossFit with regards to the exercises and the intention as being uh, another tool um, inside of my strength and conditioning um, toolbox. And um, over time, I think that I've just uh, transcended uh, the concepts uh, personally. And, um, and uh, that's really where it is. There, there is no relationship. I think the relationship is probably historical in context um, with regards to my participation on .com and my ownership of an affiliate. Gotcha. Now, big dogs, is that is big dogs when it comes to coaches working directly with athletes for performance training and you know results based outcomes are they working with a lot of aspiring crossfit games competitors or or crossfit athletes or is it is it more skewed to different populations these days yeah no it's it's largely uh, people who are really serious about their fitness um the the majority of those individuals want to compete in some way in fitness um and that could be in grid, um, IF three, um, some weekend, you know, fitness event, um, et cetera. So what is next for OPEX? It's, it's when I first came across OPEX, it was after you all were already in the U S you had rebranded from OPT to OPEX. You were working directly with a lot of athletes and I actually knew a couple of athletes, not to name names on this podcast who, you know, were working with you directly and, and, and getting feedback and had very, very positive things to say. Now OPEX is more about the education model, the licensed gyms. Um, Big Dogs is more of the coaches working directly with athletes on performance-based outcomes. Where does OPEX go from here? Does it expand? Does it grow? And if so, how does it grow? And what further types of education and courses do you think it could provide for which populations? Yeah, I think... uh that's a big question. I think the that was like growth, that wasn't really fair. That was like four questions packed into one. <laughs> so if you want to break that into separate ones, <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's a good. It's it, it makes me stretch my brain mind a little bit. Um, but uh, and it's and it's healthy. Um, you know, I think uh, and this has been our mind for past little while. You know, as I age as a human, um, I have two wonderful daughters. Very grateful for their health and their brains, 13 and 10, and a wonderful relationship continually growing with my wife. Um, And it starts there, I believe, um, in terms of how you define, and that's why I, how you define growth. And that's why I preempt the conversation on what growth means, because it's never disconnected to my own personal beliefs. Um, And, you know, I, I want to impact, um, I want to make a lot of coaches just wake up and think. Um, And uh, I don't know what the impact looks like. Um, I can't put my finger on it. But I do know when I do it correctly and when I'm doing it right. Um, And I do know I'll be vilified and and persecuted in different ways for my thoughts on that to raise the awareness of fitness coaching. Um, But that's what that's, you know, it sounds ephemeral as well. But that's what 
that's what growth and the future uh, looks like for me. Um, because honestly, um, you know, I want to be able to do something every day that gets me out of bed and gets me excited. And I think raising the market's awareness around the power of the fitness coach is admirable. And that's just what I think. You know, a lot of other people may not think that, but that's what I think. Um, so how do we get there? Um, you know, it, it's pretty simple. We have to sell more CCP courses and we have to get a, you know, higher net profit and more clients for big dogs. You know, I don't, I never discount the, the idea around economics that are connected to philosophy for business practices. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what growth would look like. And that would lead to more OPEX gyms and creating a big impact out there in health and fitness. Um, and it would lead to, you know, people just thinking, um, you know, just thinking, uh, I don't know how to describe the word, but harder, thinking harder around, you know, what does exercise mean? What is the power of the intention in fitness? Um, why should you do it? Um, and what are the pluses and the minuses of, uh, of physical expression? You know, things like that. That's what I hope. That's what my hope is. You are so closely tied in with this brand. And you, you mentioned earlier, you know, growth, if it's negative, you're going to be vilified. If it's positive, you're going to be celebrated. When it comes to this company, you and the company are, are in a way a bit inextricable, or at least you and the methodology the company is educating people on. What does that pressure feel like? And what are some mechanisms you use in order to better cope with or handle the pressure of being so closely associated with the information that you're educating people on. I mean, you, you quite literally are looked at as someone who needs to walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I take that seriously. Um, and I know I have a number of dependents, um, and it's not a dependent relationship, but I know I'm responsible for a lot of people. Um, I don't take that lightly. Um, but my actions and my thoughts and uh, my practices, um, are far more important to me um, than what other people think about that. Um, and so I, I try to balance those two, um, meaning that I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be passive to, you know, challenging ideas, e even if that means making everyone around me happy and secure. Um, that, that, that's just not, that's not my shit. But I don't feel pressure, David, because um, I'm confident, um, and that confidence could be that confidence could be blind. Um, I know that I know my own biases. Um, I sure as hell know that you know confidence can get people into trouble. Um, uh, you know, because it can be it can be you know really sidetracked with arrogance. Uh, but uh, I don't I don't feel pressure because uh, I'm confident in my beliefs. And I just know in my heart that um, what I go after and what I'm trying to do um, is, is moral. When you are, and, and this isn't necessarily you personally, although I'm sure it still very much happens and certainly happened quite a bit in the company's earlier days, when you or the company are basically selling the value proposition of OPEX, and you're trying to convince a coach, they might be curious, they might be looking to learn more, a coach or a facility operator, the value add, the value proposition of OPEX training. What does that focus on? What do you 
believe people are going to get out of going through OPEX and becoming certified with your methodology above and beyond or differently than other other coaching methodologies and training modules that exist? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there'll be uh, those people will be more uh, critical thinkers in fitness. Um, I think there'll be coaches that will be able to look at um, everything that's being offered um, and everything that's being sold and everything that's being delivered um, and understand um, just what is what is the utility of any of those things. So I think that's what we indirectly propose a coach to do is to become, is to wake up, right. Is to um, recognize that through observation and empirical evidence and science that uh, there's been some tried, tested and true, um, you know, measurable things that humans have done for a long period of time that, uh, that coaches need to impart, you know, they need to be able to change behaviors in people to get them, on board with that. So I think that's what we sell. We, we sell this, this idea that, uh, once you're finished with CCP, you'll have all the principles in place to be able to ask all the, uh, all the tough questions. Throughout this recording. And this is something I've also heard you talk about previously. You are talking and speaking much more to mindset training for both coaches and their clients than you are even the physical act of coaching in the gym. Why is that? And what do you think many fitness coaches today still get wrong when it comes to mind, the mindset they can impart on their clients or within their clients? Yeah. If I, if I don't get back to the second part, just let me know. But, uh, I think there's a, just because we spend time there doesn't mean that the other is not important. You know, just want to clarify that. Um, I think it's just the, uh, it's the uh, unconsciousness inside of fitness intention today. Um, and I think that a lot of uh, fitness is sold as a fix for uh, poor lifestyles and poor behaviors. And so I think there's a lot of energy and education and technology and programs being put into a duct tape fast track model. Um, and I think that's futile, to be honest. Um, and so that's why we it seem, seemingly focus on the cognitive aspects um, or behaviors or intentions because if individuals, the client and the coach can't think for themselves and ask hard questions on why am I doing any of this, um, you're, it's actually just useless what you are doing. And there's, there's no argument to that. It's actually a fact. Um, it actually puts people backwards as opposed to growing forwards. Um, so that's why it probably seems like the focus is there. Um, you know, in 1995 or even 2003, a lot of the more the focus was on exercise and the dose response and how to do those things right. And I think just now we're at a point 16 years later where, you know, people are seeing that there's so many options and there's so much information shared and it's so confusing that we probably want to go higher order in terms of what's important. And, uh, intention uh is where i think that's important and what was the second part of your question i I think you nailed it it was it was what what are the mental aspects or the mindset aspects of training that you're hoping your coaches are getting across to their clients oh yeah yeah i'm hoping that uh they continually ask those clients about their intention on exercise 
you know, and their reason for doing it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think, and that's why we've created a system because I can't just teach a course and then assume coaches are going to finish the course and be able to put this stuff together out there because it's actually harder and harder. Right. Which is why I don't sell fantasy and why I criticize fantasy. Um, and you know, you can make a lot of money on selling fantasy and low intention and unconscious exercise, um, as an owner. Um, but your coaches will die because they lose their, their enlight, you know, their enlightened opportunity to be a coach and to help every individual. Um, and so I, I just want, I want people to ask the hard questions and I want coaches to, uh, get out. And so that's why we set up an OPEX gym scenario because the way the system is set up, a coach builds relationships like true relationships so that this conversation, which takes more than three minutes, um, you know, has to be had with a person, right? So it doesn't, it's, I'm being very reductionist in the, in the application of this, but we basically are asking people every couple of days, like, why are you really doing this? You know, um, because if that, if that's not asked, even without possibly getting to like reason, then I think you're just dancing with people. And I think you're taking money and people, humans are assets and nothing is being learned or upgraded. Playing off that. And, and maybe this is just an extension of your, your answer there. What do you think is the next great frontier in performance and recovery? Yeah, I think a, to use the word I just mentioned, it's probably a, an upgraded version of uh, human measurement. Um, I think really for the past number of years, what people uh, think is like really high level human measurement is is honestly just like a, a 1.5 out of 10 as to what is really being done back room. Um, so I think in the future, um, we're going to have more access to really great human measurement um, that's scaled and, uh, and low cost. And, uh, I think that'll really fundamentally change a whole lot of things. Great. Well, James, I really do appreciate you taking the time for folks who want to keep up to date with what you're doing. Where is the best place to, or where are the best places to follow along with you, your work and, uh, what OPEX has coming out in the near future? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a number of places you could go, so bear with me here. We'll put these uh, all in the show notes too. No, no worries, folks. If you're okay. uh, if you have trouble okay. sorting through them, <laughs> yeah. But sometimes people are listening and they don't go to the show notes. Um, so if you're listening in, um, opexfit.com, um, that would be the place to, as the as the starting point for um, everything. Um, secondly, uh, thebigdogs.com. It's uh, d a w g s dot com thebigdogs.com if you're interested in just understanding what that process is of getting some online coaching uh, with a coach. Um, third, if you just want some insight what we're up to, opexgyms.com, G-Y-M-S.com, um, just to see where we are in the world and, and what we mean and what we strive to do. And that may get people interested in either being a client in one of those places where you're certainly going to be taken care of, um, or you may be interested in a, a coach, maybe a coach that's interested in opening one up. I would also ask you to visit thebrandxmethod.com. Um, that's a, 
uh, group that I'm involved with, and we're trying to raise the awareness of youth fitness certification and also uh, the Interna International Functional Fitness Federation, um, where we're trying to grow the sport um, for uh, um, just develop a sport um, and hopefully get it to the Olympics and create some governance around uh, fitness as a sport long term. What about you personally? Where can folks keep up to date with what you're doing on you know social media? Oh yeah, um, my uh, name is at jfitzopex. J f i t z o p e x, um, and that's on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you know, uh, on Facebook, uh, I don't even know how people become friends anymore or hook up just because the more you know, if you only if you're only connected to two or three friends it's just too much time to look through a person's page to determine if, if you know them or if it's even worthwhile, you know, having good conversations with. So Facebook's probably not the, not the place for, for me, but I am on Facebook as well. And I, uh, I post things there regularly around my thoughts and, and, uh, have coaches tips consistently. Awesome. Well, James Fitzgerald, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to seeing what comes next from you and your growing team. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, David.